following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. It's in us. And we're going to talk about that today and every month from now until December living inside of us. And so that is an encouragement. It's exciting to bring this message today. Our text for today is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. And I would ask if you're able to please stand as we read God's word in honor of his precious word for today's text. verse 14 now after john was arrested jesus came into galilee proclaiming the gospel of god and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel passing alongside the sea of galilee he saw simon and andrew the brother of simon casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and jesus said to them follow me and i will make you fishers become fishers of men And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. And I would take this moment, as before we go any further, I would like to pray for this message, and for each one of you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in a posture of gratitude and adoration. We come before you knowing full well that everything we have, everything we are, is because of you. And we are grateful that uh, you are mindful of us. We're grateful that you care for us. We're grateful that you love us and are gracious with us, that you show us mercy day in and day out, so much so, and that you would be, we reveal, we reveal your truth to us on a daily basis. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the word of God that you have entrusted us with. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us teaching us, showing us your way. And Lord, I pray, God, that this sanctuary would be filled with your spirit, that your spirit would move today, that it would touch lives, that it would move in places, unexpected places that only you can know and do. I pray, God, that you would minister to the needs of each person here today, whatever they are dealing with, whatever their concerns, whether it be sickness or, or financial, whatever it is, stress. Lord, give them freedom, give them peace, please, God. Bring them healing. Bring them your presence. Help them to understand and remember that you'll never leave them, nor forsake them, that no matter what it is, that you will see them through. And we celebrate that, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help me, Lord, to deliver your words, not mine. That what comes out of my mouth will be pleasing to you because it's your message. It's your teaching. It's for your glory. I pray that there will be miracles done here today. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, So, just uh, for context purposes, you know this. This is. uh, I'm going to kind of break this up into to three parts. Um, And that might sound scary because you guys know that I can ramble and that. um, But it's only really the verses itself. Uh, this was how it was revealed to me is the first verse 14 is the announcement of God's kingdom. Uh, verse 15 is the call of repentance and faith that Jesus makes. And then the last few verses are the call of the disciples. And I came to the conclusion as I was studying this month that the 16 through 20 verses is what I hold, had been holding on to all this time. These last 15 or 20 years of my life when I realized that being a disciple is what it's all about. To know God and to make Him known. 
and talking about being fishers of men the way the early disciples were. That's been my focus. And the slamming on the brakes for verses 14 and 15 is what I observed throughout this study. And that's where I'm going to spend the majority of the time. And I'm grateful the way God revealed it to me. So we're in the book of Mark. And if you know, Mark is uh, succinct compared to the other Gospels. Uh, Some of the details aren't as uh, specific. Um, But nonetheless, there's no, no, no less profound same, this is the same Mark that is, uh, John Mark is his name. He's the cousin of Barnabas. Uh, he is the one who gets credit for deserting Paul in the early ministries and aligns himself with Barnabas later on. You can see that in Acts chapter 13. Uh, you can see that he was able to kind of reconcile in Acts chapter 15. Um, renewed his relationship with Paul later on in Second Timothy 4 through 11. The 4 verse 11. You can see that this is Mark telling in a very succinct way the story of Jesus' ministry on earth. Mark skips the early life of Christ. He doesn't expound on that. He opens up with the ministry of John the Baptist. He, he, this, these verses we're going to look at today come after that come after the the arrival of john the baptist and his message of repentance it's going to come after jesus himself is baptized and the spirit of the lord comes down and says this is my son whom i love it's after jesus is tempted by satan for 40 days that's the context the background of our scripture text today now we know what we're going to see here today is the reality of prophecy coming to be. That there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak to the coming of Christ and the kingdom of God coming. And the statisticians and probability experts have all tried to kind of analyze what it would actually mean should there be eight to ten prophecies fulfilled. And that number is astronomical. And we know that there's far more than that. So we look at this verse 14 and it's, uh, it's unique because after John was arrested, this is, a, this, is a, you know, this is an interesting time. A new message is being proclaimed. Repent. And Jesus is in Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God is what it says in verse 14. Because up till now, the, the message was, and especially in, in Jewish circles, was that of the law of Abraham and Moses. Those types of laws were supposed to be followed and that if they were doing that as best they could, that they would be in line with God. And this was a new message that Jesus was proclaiming right from the get-go. That the law of Abraham and Moses was not enough. That the gospel of God, the good news of God, is different than what you have been following. The NIV does call it the good news. And it is. It's profound. And so we, we, we look at verse 14 and we see that this ministry in Galilee is not meant to be anything but specific. I don't know about you, but my perception of Galilee was never like this bustling, booming metropolis. And I'm not saying that it was, but when you look at the historical records of Josephus, the Jewish historian, he basically outlines the size of Galilee and the, sh- and the shapes of Galilee. And I, I think I put a little graphic in there, a little map in there. 60 by 30 miles, over 204 villages with no less than 15,000 people packed into that little territory there. In that 
region is about three million people. That's profound in and of itself. Jesus was, was bringing the kingdom of God to a very populated area that was holding on to the previous law as the means to know God or to be in some relationship with God. To honor and give God glory was something different. Jesus proclaiming the gospel. Now we've talked about the fact that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus brings it. And when we look at verse 15, it is clarified for us. Because Jesus says that the time is fulfilled in verse 15. It seems uh, unremarkable, I would say. That's probably why in my walk I have kind of glossed, glossed over it. And start to, you start to look deeper, look a little bit closer. There are two basic translations of the word time in the Greek. The first that we are more familiar with in our current culture, in our current context, is chronos. Chronos, chronology, chronology of time. This we understand. What time is it? What time does the service start? How long is it going to take these, this macaroni and cheese to be ready? What time is this guy going to be done with the sermon? Don't be late. Be on time. Your appointment is at 10 a.m. Like these things we understand. It kind of, in some ways, controls us. And those who it doesn't, God bless you. But it does give us some guidance on each day. Maybe too much. This is the chronos. But Mark, what he writes and what he says and puts down that what Jesus said is a different translation in the Greek for time. This is the word kairos. K-I-K-A-I-R-O-S. This means a particular moment in time. One that is so significant that it defines everything that comes after it. A decisive time. A strategic time. A historic time. And I'll come back to that the concept of historic in just a moment. This is the kairos. This is what Jesus is saying, that the time is fulfilled. And when we look at fulfilled, our perception is also different. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. This is the beginning of his kingdom ministry. It is a time in history that is decisive and strategic and profound. It is not just chronology of time. We cannot let that pass us by. And what Jesus says afterwards is the opportunity that we have at that time to recognize what's going on. The kingdom has arrived. Now, I have the privilege of teaching world history. And, uh, you know, we talk about historical developments. It's how history is basically described. That's what historical is. It's a record. The Bible is historical. Right? We know that the events that have occurred in the Bible have, have actually happened there's proof. There's evidence to that. The time that Jesus is referring to, though, is historic. And there's a huge difference. Because everything that happens after that is impacted. Everything that takes place in the next period of time, in space, that would be historical but not necessarily historic. We look at various conflicts in our world history discussions. 
the, you know, the events, the flashpoints that started a world war. When there was a particular event or a, a speech or a surrender or the Berlin Wall falling down. These are historic events. The birth of Christ is a historic event. His death on the cross, His resurrection, this is historic. His arrival and His bringing of His kingdom message was historic. It was decisive. And everything after that is defined. Christianity is defined by Him bringing His ministry to us. The kingdom coming on that day. Listen, the birth of Christ is how we measure our calendars. B.C. and A.D. Which even now has been altered. I don't know if you know this, but the the B.C. and A.D. that we have been living with our whole lives has now been changed to B.C. and B.C.E. Right? No. B.C.E. and C.E. Before Common Era and Common Era. But guess what? It's still divided by the birth of Christ. So, it's historic. It's momentous. It shapes history. And this is what we're seeing here in this moment. There's many others throughout Scripture. We know the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt. That's historic. The parting of the Red Sea. These are things that are happening that actually took place and they changed what happens next. So we're looking at this time, this historic time, this kairos, the kairotic event. And it's being fulfilled. And what he's saying there is another translation. The word fulfilled is translated in Greek to pleroma. P-L-E-O-R-M-A. Referring to the totality, the fullness of God dwelling in Christ. Referring to the fullness, it's basically the event is, is it's so full that it's bursting at the seams. And he is saying right there and then in that one little verse that the, the kairos and the pleroma have come together. The historic event has come and met together in all its fullness. The kingdom has come. It's amazing. All of history has come together at that moment. The hundreds of prophecies before have now come forward and have boom on that day. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel to, to demonstrate the kingdom of God in all its fullness. A defining time in history merging together. Overflowing in that moment. And we, what a blessing. We have the hindsight, the ability through our, the scriptures to see it. I'm not sure they saw it then, the way we see it now. I would argue that's probably true. Let's continue in that small set of verses. Verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus says, let me make sure I get the exact words here, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 15 is loaded. At hand, right? At hand. It's near. Okay, it's not just some reference point. It is now. The kingdom of God is here. He's making this, this kind of like lead into the next part of it. So time is, is, is historic, it's decisive, it's strategic. 
it is happening in all its fullness and it's happening now. That's the message he's, he's proclaiming throughout Galilee. It's profound. Now Jesus is making this declaration in the last part of verse 15. He sums it all up. Here's the message that's at hand. As I'm telling you that the kingdom of God is here, here's what you need to do. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The two things that are absolutely necessary for our salvation. These are the the two things that that make us understand how profound this event was. Repenting and believing is the only way that we can see God, our Creator, our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the message of truth that Jesus is bringing. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that the only way for us to be in a right relationship with God is to recognize we need a Savior who came for our benefit, that we can stand in His righteousness. And by virtue of us standing in His righteousness, we humble ourselves before Him and ask the Lord to forgive us, to submit, to repent, and it's in here. It's in our hearts that this is even, it has to be. Repentance is so critical. We're rearranging our entire way of thinking, feeling, and being in, under, in order to abandon and renounce that which we know now is wrong, sin. It is a choice we make to turn away from that sin and to turn to God, to choose to follow Jesus. A choice to abide, to remain in His presence, to be inspired by his word, to desire it, to know it, to follow Jesus closely in all of the aspects of our lives, to know him and to make him known. Repentance cannot be overstated. It is the linchpin of salvation. We cannot be saved without sincerity. It is serious. Our salvation determines it. I've said this before when I've had the privilege to stand up here. And this is meant to be an encouragement not to put fear in you, but do you know that you're a lifesaver? Do you look at yourself as having the opportunity that God may grant you to save someone's life by planting the seeds of salvation and giving those people you interact with the opportunity to repent and believe? It is serious business. We ourselves must turn from our sin, put our trust in Jesus Christ alone. It's not just praying a prayer. It's here. It's in your heart. It's between you and God, our Creator. And I tell the young people that I interact with all the time, I'm like, listen, you have a lot of judgmental friends. You yourself are probably pretty judgmental. This is what teenagers are do. It's how they are. Don't let anyone tell you how your relationship with God is or how it should look. It's between you and Him. It's personal. This is the historic event. It changed everything. It became personal. The kingdom of God is here that we can know Him personally to have an intimate relationship with our Creator through Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? It's not between you and me, your pastor, or anyone else. Praise God. Now, we are called to be close and intimate in our community. Absolutely. And this is one of the the greatest things I've ever seen in my life is this church community right here at Faith. Of course, we all are parts of the body of Christ We all have a role to play. We can encourage. We can bring others along. We can pray for them. We can lift them up. 
We can teach them. We can show them what God has shown us. Of course, that's an important part of our walk. But it's between you and him. And there's only one mediator. And that's Jesus. And when I think about that, I give God glory. God's the only one who truly knows your heart. He knows us better than ourselves. And I'm thankful. This is not in your slides, but let me, let me just refresh us as to what a, one other rec- a bit of encouragement for us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Another simple but profound couple verses in the book of Romans. And I've... Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's verse 9. Verse 10. This is, we forget this one. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's what's in here. It's the sincerity that you have that only God knows the true, true sense of sincerity that you have. And that never gets old for me. God knows your motives of your heart. Praise the Lord. He also helps us to be as transparent as we can possibly be with everyone else. Be the same in here as you are out there. In your workplace. On the road. Which is a challenge for me. When Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, he wanted people to know that they could not enter the kingdom as they had been. There must be a purposeful, intentional change of heart to experience the kingdom of God. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. I mean, those things come. When the Spirit moves, we are drawn to tears. Or some yell hallelujah. Some are actually doing both. When we recognize that we have a Savior, that we need a Savior. Sometimes we fall into a place where we have a pity party for ourselves because we recognize how sinful we have been. Even as a believer, we sin. We know this. Don't feel sorry for yourself. If you saw yourself the way God sees you, you would never feel sorry for yourself because you are the apple of his eye. It would change your entire outlook if we really knew how much God loves us. The fact that he loves us so much and will never love us any less. Now, should we feel sorry for the sin? Sure. Like what I mean by that is we know we've done it. That's where we repent. We turn. It's blessing after blessing and it's humbling when we recognize our sin. And Jesus is declaring to make a change. Change our minds and change of our hearts to repent, and it speaks of that change of direction, not sorrow in our heart, not to, to live in guilt and shame. We've been freed of all that. This is how our testimony is revealed. Because we're not living in the past. We're not living in our sin. We're living in the now. We're living in the fact that we know that we've been saved that we have a king who's ruling over our kingdom. Amen. Repentance describes us leaving our selfish life and our sin and more to enter into that truly close, intimate relationship with our God. To enter into the kingdom of God that he's establishing here today in our text. Leaving behind our sinful lives. That is the gift. 
So Jesus' kingdom ministry is here now, we see in verse 15. He declared it. And then he gave those specific instructions to repent and believe. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's preaching the message of God's rule on earth and salvation. It may not be popular, but it's the truth. The people of Israel at the time wanted a political kingdom. They wanted a military king. It's not what came. That wasn't what was prophesied either, by the way, if you when it's looked at closely. They wanted someone who was going to save them from the oppressive Romans. But Jesus brought a greater kingdom, one of love and grace and freedom humility for all mankind he didn't bring a a kingdom of control or laws restrictions humble us to a point of guilt and shame no jesus brought his kingdom for all mankind for the jews and everyone else too It's not being imposed by force. And it's always fascinating to me when we look at examples of various religions where you have conversions being forced on you. That's not Jesus. There's historic, historical developments that show that even Christian kingdoms and Christian leaderships of various denominations of churches forced conversions. That's not Jesus. It's not imposed by force. And we know that now. We have the benefit of knowing that. We have the scriptures in our hands. And as we read it, it makes more and more sense. And it's why it's so important to continue to be in it and to study it and to meditate on it, to pray about it, that God would reveal to you what he's trying to teach and what he wants you to use, how he wants you to use it. But imagine what those people were thinking at that time. being under Roman occupation, after hundreds of years of silence, would you have been so easily moved to follow Jesus? That's profound in itself. Think about it. Hundreds of years of silence. And then this Jesus figure, character, comes walking in and says, Here's the new message. Don't you see that that doesn't make any sense? And that's what it's not, as we were saying this morning, it's not rational. But that's the beauty of God. We talk about trying to put God in a box, and I said this morning, are you kidding me? That's the audacity of trying to even do that? Who do we think we are that we could actually put God in a box? And so it makes perfect sense from that perspective when Jesus comes and preaches this message that throws everything else in society and culture out of whack. He's preaching the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he wanted people to know it, that they were invited to come live in his kingdom, trusting God and being in a relationship where now you're depending on him. It was meant to be. Of course, we know. We have a job to do. That's our call. To take it out into the world and to teach the same things that Christ taught. Now before I leave, repent, there's believe. And it goes back to our heart, our sense of our heart, our motives. In this particular scripture, the, the word for, for believe is pisteu. It's a Greek, Greek term. And it's talking about the relationship of and trust and dependence. But to find peace in that kingdom message. To have faith. To trust in the things that we can't see. That God's revealing to us. Repentance and faith. 
radical reorientation of our hearts and minds, turning away from sin, self-centeredness, pride, turning towards God. The acknowledgement of our need for God's grace and forgiveness, calling us to faith, trust, surrender, relying on the promises of God and the willingness to follow Christ wherever He leads. That's what the call is. And just in case you didn't know, now you know. Praise God. This relationship with our, our Lord, one we can rest and have peace through Christ. And it's in Christ alone. For those who sincerely believe, you can have this. We have this as believers. And if you're here today and this is not you, I hope this stirs your heart. Let's talk after. This is a message of urgency at that time. Even at that time. It's a message of urgency now. Right? There's still millions of people on the globe here that don't know Jesus. Let me tell you a story about how that is so true. We have missions teams that are going from, our, from the school this year, every spring break. Last year, we had a missions team go to London, England. This is a true story. And there's a young lady who is uh, kind of the discipleship uh, director for women, st- for the female students at our school. And they were literally going door to door to share the gospel. Knocked on the door and an elderly woman answered the door. And basically, her name, is, her name is Amanda, and she won't mind if I use her name. Amanda asked this lady if she knew who Jesus was, and uh, she really didn't know. She, she had no idea. And then Amanda explained it to her, and basically she kind of was lukewarm about the whole thing, and Amanda said, well, can I pray for you? And she's like, sure. And Amanda started to pray, and she's in the middle of this prayer, and the lady says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? She goes, I'm praying for you. She has had no idea what that was. Like, there are people in cities that are highly populated and developed and civilized that don't know Jesus. Forget about parts unknown. And I say that to only bring to mind this kingdom message and our responsibility to, to, to bring it out. To ask God to reveal to us where we're supposed to go next. Is it here? Is it there? Wherever. Help us, dear Lord. Help our unbelief. Holy Spirit, move. We need you more than ever. Help us to share your gospel message. Whew. Okay, so that's the first two verses. I promise the, the last set of verses will be shorter. This is, this is the part we have an understanding of, especially at this church, uh, calling of the first disciples. Verses 16 and 17. Jesus is out looking for followers. We know that it's more detailed in the book of Luke and John. Some different interactions. Uh, and if you want to uh, refer to those you may of course uh, Luke 5 verses 2 through 11 John 1 35 to 42 uh, and Matthew 4 18 and 22 these are all basically characterizing this same scene the arrival of Christ bringing his kingdom message and establishing his ministry and his disciples are being called to follow him This is the same scene when Jesus asks, he gives a message and then he asks them to take them out into the boat and their boat is overflowing with fish. Same scene. He's looking for followers. He finds Simon who becomes Peter and his brother Andrew. He's looking for those who are going to follow him in his kingdom ministry. What's interesting, as I mentioned, Galilee and the millions of people in that area 
Well, the Sea of Galilee wasn't a lake. It's not a pond. Those millions of people were supported by the fishing industry out of that sea. These men were part of that active industry, that fishing industry that's happening in and around the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus walks along that sea. This is where he calls those first disciples and tells them to follow him. So in two ways, it's profound. Because one, we just, what I just mentioned, the fishing industry and the fact that these are men are part of that, but the fact that they're just fishermen. Right? God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And these fishermen are that. In our minds, right, these are, these, these, they know the business of fishing well. And Jesus says, I'll teach you how to fish for men. Walk away from your livelihood, John and James, in addition. It's incredible, really. Imagine if that were you. Is that you today? Imagine Zebedee, the father. This is not a call to a new vocation, but a call to discipleship. It's an invitation to be on this journey with Jesus, to learn from him, to participate in his mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. This is not something you do and you retire from. This is for life. And the response of these fishermen is immediate, it's wholehearted, it's sincere, and they leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Their example should challenge us every day to examine our own response to Jesus' call. I know it does me. Point of application, are we willing to let go of our attachments, our comforts in order to follow Jesus wholeheartedly as these guys did? And what is Jesus calling you to? Are you listening? It's never been more profound in my life that that aspect of my relationship with God keeps coming to the surface, listening, listening, listening. Shut up and listen, John. God already knows my needs. Sure, he wants me to invite him into the circumstances. He wants me to be in his word. And I have questions. He's got answers. But listening to the call. Are you following closely as the early disciples did? Are you in a place where maybe your walk is stale or stagnant? Are you complacent and maybe should reflect on blind spots that might be in your life that God can reveal to you if you would ask and listen. The good news for us today is that when Jesus calls us to follow him, it's not temporary, it's forever, praise God. It's not fleeting, it's for life. His kingdom is forever and that's what he's calling us to. To be the children of God. To be his servants. There is no end. And that is good news. Amen. And how do we do this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it alone. Right? It's not some work that we can do. Some action we can take. It's, it's re the repentance is because of the movement of the Spirit convicting us to believe of he sa who he is, who he, he is who he says he is. And we should, I should clarify something here as we're getting ready to finish. The, 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 the notion of a disciple and an apostle, and there's a difference. Oftentimes they're interchangeable as we discuss the followers of Christ in Scripture. And something that I have done that very, very much so. And uh, when Pastor Colin, and we've talked about that as a major part of the, this particular church body is discipleship and being willing to be in community, small, close, intimate community with 
other brothers and sisters for the purposes of, of learning through Scripture. That's what a disciple is. And in this context, James and, and John and Andrew and Peter, they were disciples. And they were there to serve, which is a significant part of being a disciple. Not just to learn, but to serve as well. An apostle is a messenger. Apostle is one who is sent to deliver a message. So somebody could be both, but not necessarily. We need to be sure that we're making sure that we're bringing the message, but we're also willing to disciple. We can't just say, pray this prayer, that's my message, and then walk away. If somebody is going to come into this church and they're going to proclaim that they're giving their life to Jesus and they're surrendering to His kingship, His lordship, and we clap and we pump our fists and we say, that's great, praise God, and then we're like, have a nice day. We've got to be in community. We've got to serve. Yes, we should bring the message. But Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that I have taught you. Obey the commandments that I taught you. This is what we're called to do as believers. To know Him, to make Him known. To be a learner, a disciple, a discipler, a follower, a servant. That is a representation, a true and honest, sincere representation of the kingdom of God in us. As my dear brother, Pastor Colin says, kingdom kids is who we are. The kingdom of God, though, is, is a gift, it's a blessing, and it's a challenge. It calls us to live in a manner that reflects the values of God's kingdom, and that can be hard for some of us, can it? We fight the gift of grace with our selfish pride, but praise God, His mercies are new every morning. We're not to abuse that grace. This should not be, as Paul says. And I don't know about you, and I am not perfect, hard to believe, but I thank God of who I used to be because it made me who I am. He brought me to this place where I can say that I am a follower of Christ. How about you? Praise the one who set me free. Death has lost its grip on me. You've broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And this is where everyone says hallelujah, except... Hallelujah. And I'm just going to cry. As we reflect on this passage, let us renew our commitment to follow Jesus faithfully. Let us repent of anything that hinders our relationship with God. Embrace the call of discipleship with courage, with humility. God is with you. He'll see you through. He promises that. His promises are true. May we live like disciples and respond to that invitation of Jesus with joy, with obedience, knowing that in doing this very thing, by following Christ, we're participating in the unfolding of God's kingdom before our very eyes here on earth. Whew, amen. Amen. I'll call the worship team to come and bless us some more. And I would just like to say, uh, if this message impacted you in some way, if the Spirit of God is moving in you today and you've not made the proclamation to follow Jesus, please.
Don't leave here today without us having a conversation, having an opportunity to pray with you, myself or, or Rob or, or anyone. Please don't do that. And if you need prayer, if you need to recommit yourself and this message in some way, shape, or form helped you to do that, let's talk. Don't leave here today. If you need prayer, God is here in this place. And I'm going to just leave you with this. I know that we'll, we'll see a, another benediction at the end, but there's something profound in this benediction that, that I want to just share with you from a famous pastor from years ago. And he does take from number six, and he says, and, and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine unto you and be gracious unto you. And may God give you his peace in your going out and in your coming in, in your lying down and in your rising up in your labor and in your leisure, in your laughter and in your tears until you come stand before Jesus in that day in which there is no sunset and no dawning. Amen. From years ago. And he does take from number six and he says, and, and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine unto you and be gracious unto you. And may God give you his peace in your going out and in your coming in in your lying down and in your rising up, in your labor and in your leisure, in your laughter and in your tears until you come stand before Jesus in that day in which there is no sunset and no dawning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.